0: please visit redemptionokc.com. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. We are kicking off a new series for the fall and going to jump into this book and really excited about that. We've actually put together several things I want to make sure that you know about. I want to make sure that you are aware of some resources. We're actually kind of trying to step up our game a little bit with some new stuff. And I wanted we've we put together an introduction guide for the book of Acts. It's got a lot of background information, kind of the heart of why we're studying the book of Acts. Uh, we've got hard copies of this available today. And if you uh, didn't get one coming in, be sure to grab one on the table on your way out or jump up and run back there and grab one right now if you want. Uh, there's places in the back of this for notes. If you want to kind of take notes or journal later as you're doing your own study or bring this each week and record some stuff there, however you want to use this. We just hope this is a blessing and encouragement to you, uh, kind of as we kick off this new big uh, series here for the fall. Uh, And then also we put together a weekly reflection guide that we're going to put out every Friday. You'll see the link to that in in the newsletter. And um, each week we'll include some new information about the book of Acts, as well as some reflection questions for you to look at. Those will actually be the questions that our small groups will use and discuss uh, this trimester as they are reflecting on the passage we teach each week in their group life. Uh, They will take those questions and work through those, but you can work through those on your own. You work through those as a couple or as a family or with a group of friends. Uh, But that will be available each week, and we'll send that out in our uh, newsletter. But those two things are available online um, each week as well, and they'll be available on our website under equipping slash resources, and you can get on there, uh, look that up, and you can find digital versions of this document of the weekly reflection guide as well. And then one other thing we're doing, we are kind of retooling our podcast and refocusing it for the fall, and so each Monday, we're, or maybe not each Monday, but regularly, uh, most, most likely we'll try to do this once a week, we'll jump in and put together a new podcast taking, talking about some of the things that we weren't, it, weren't able to address in a sermon, and uh, some really, uh, I think, applicable stuff for you, and we'll put that out each week, probably towards the end of the week, and so those will be available, and we're calling that Wide Awake, because our vision for you uh, as, as a church is that you would wake up to deep, meaningful life in Christ. And so we want to be people who are alive in him and who are, who are alert and aware of all that Christ is doing in our, in our world. And, um, and so those are just three new resources we want to make sure you know about in ways that we hope will serve you well and help you grow. Um, let me pray for us as we jump into this new series in the book of Acts. Father, we ask that you would, uh, that you would connect us to the truth of your word, that you'd make it come to life, that your spirit would enliven our minds, uh, wake us up where we are sleepy, Uh, that you would cause the affections of our heart to be stirred, that we might love you more through this series. And Father, as we look at this thing called the church, uh, Father I pray for anyone here who is sideways from the church, who has experienced hurt from the church, who has doubts about the church that somehow the this the, the, your vision for what the church ought to be and what Christ left us here to do might encourage them through the next few weeks. Uh, Father would you stir our hearts with love for your world and for all those that that were created in your image that walk on this planet that breathe the same air that we breathe that need to know the Savior that we know. Father, would you break our hearts for the lost, that they too might know new life in Christ. They might know the resurrected King and what it is to live and to flourish under his reign. Father, Christ is the head of this church, and your spirit is the one who accomplishes that which is good. So we ask for your mercy and your grace in us and through us this year. Father, we pray it in Christ's name and by your spirit. Amen. Well, read with me as we start this new, uh, new book, the book of Acts. We're going to go through the first 11 verses today, and so read with me as we, as we begin. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs appearing to them over 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him. Go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we jump into this book, uh, it's it's important to see this kind of sets out the outline for the whole book. Acts 1-8 is actually kind of the theme verse, the purpose for the book, and so and It says uh, that, that you will wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, the book is actually going to follow that kind of outline all the way through. So you're going to start off, it's going to focus a lot on Jerusalem, then it's going to go to kind of Judea, Samaria, and, and, and a wider region, and it moves in kind of expanding circles out and eventually goes to the ends of the earth and so we're going to see that this was their mission but it's also our mission and what we've been called to do Uh, this book of acts it's interesting it's written by a gentile physician So this wasn't a trained preacher dude. This was a doctor, a medical doctor who uh, had come to Christ and understood that. And uh, we have four gospels in the, in the New Testament. When you look at your New Testament, if you open it up, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, This is the same Luke that wrote Acts that wrote the book or the gospel of Luke. But there's four, four gospels that tell of Jesus' uh, Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, because that's the central event, as we talked about last week. That's the central event in all of the Bible. It's the central event in in all of human history, and everything in the Old Testament pointed to that. The Gospels announced that, and everything after the Gospels point back to it, because that was the focal point. And so we have four different uh, books that tell about that. Uh, the years after Christ ascended, we only have one book that really outlies kind of the historical evidence of that, and that's the book of Acts. It's interesting that that Luke and Acts actually are one book. If you kind of look at like uh, volume one and volume two, that's the way we're intended to think about this. They're the same author, and so Luke wrote the book of Acts, and then or Luke, and then he wrote and continued to wrote the book of Acts, and that's what we're going to be unpacking here. And you notice that as you uh, look at the first verse, it says, "In the first book, O Theophilus." Well, the first book is what Luke, and so he wrote that. But he also wrote it to a man named Theophilus. And Theophilus, uh, you know, if you're looking for a name for your kids, you know, any of you, any of you folks, that that's an option. Not sure it's a good option, but it is an option. But Theophilus was uh, the one that he wrote the book of Luke to. Luke to, and he mentions it here again in verse one of uh, the book of Acts. Now, you may be wondering, like, who is this guy? Uh, Theophilus was probably a Gentile he was probably fairly uh, kind of upper middle class he was educated because he's re- re- he's writing a book to him and making logical arguments for him expecting him to read it's most likely he was a Roman citizen and, and actually Luke 1 he calls him most excellent Theophilus which means uh, there's a, there's a high likelihood that he was kind of a Roman official he was of someone of some importance and uh, we see through the history of the church that in that time is, is the gospel rippled from Jerusalem out and god made its way to rome uh, a lot of the the different people in rome began to ask questions and seek the lord and, and explore things of faith but uh when you think about rome's relationship to israel and rome's relationship to a a king who had been a rival to the emperor um you can also understand why someone from rome might be a little bit nervous about embracing king jesus right and so theophilus is needing some encouragement uh it's interesting that in luke when, uh, when, when, when uh, in the gospel, Luke, when Luke writes, he says uh as as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having followed all the things of Jesus closely for some time in the past to write and listen to the, to the way he describes what he did in the gospel. An orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught about Jesus. So what's the scenario when you think about Theophilus? He's probably a guy who was wrestling with faith. He was maybe a skeptic. He was a seeker. He was maybe someone who was doubting whether all the things that Jesus, uh, that were claimed about Jesus were true, and he needed some encouragement. And so what we see in that passage is that Luke says, I'm writing these so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. He begins Acts 1 in the first book of Theophilus. I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after the commands of the Holy Spirit. And so th- he's writing this book to this, this person, trying to, try to encourage him in his faith. Now, I hope that's an encouragement to you too. Because my, my guess is in a room uh, this size with this many people here that some of you are also doubting, that some of you are also skeptics, that some of you also, maybe you're seeking to know whether what, what, what the scriptures say about Jesus is true, and you need to be encouraged and you need to be built up, and that's really what, what Luke says his intent was in writing the Gospel of Luke and in writing Acts was that, that you might be encouraged so that you might have certainty in the things of Christ that's good news. So uh, let's jump in here. And there's three things you need to understand whenever uh, we, we begin to understand this mission of, God, of, of the Lord in in our lives. The first is we need to understand the truth of the gospel. That if we are going to be witnesses, if we're going to carry out this mission that God's given and it's described here, uh, we need the truth of the gospel. The second thing we're going to see is that we need the power of God. This is something we can't do in our own strength. It's something we need the power of God to do in us. And thirdly, we need a uh, sense of urgency for the mission. And so we're going to look at those three things today. Uh, and we're going to start off with really talking about uh, the gospel. This verse 1 speaks what is it he says he was writing with. He says, I, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, what is the gospel? We, we use this term sometimes in church. and I know it's a churchy word. That It's a Greek term that means, that it means good news. Uh, it's a term that, that tells about the good news of Jesus. And really what it's speaking is, is everything about Christ that Christ, was, that Christ was, w- w- was divine and he came to earth and he lived among us and he lived a perfect life and then as a sacrificial lamb he sacrificed himself upon a cross and through that sacrifice substituted so that he took the punishment we deserved and because he substituted himself on a cross God accepted us and, and, and looked upon us as though we were washed white as snow and Christ was taken off that cross and put in a tomb and he stayed there for three days but then he walked out of that tomb having kicked death and sin, sin and death in the face and, and Victoriously rose again. And then announcing his resurrection, he appeared and walked around for 40 days amongst the disciples and amongst the people of that era. And then it said that he was ascended and he went up into heaven, and the clouds took him up to sit by the right hand of the Father. Later he's going to say, Because of that, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because he was victorious, and so he's the reigning king. So in verse 1 says, I began to talk about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the truth of the gospel, is everything that you need to know. It's interesting, uh, John Calvin in his commentary on this said that, that what Jesus did and what Jesus taught are wholly holy knot, like a rope tied together that can't be unseparated. No one can undo. And what he's saying is that, that, that we have to understand what Jesus did, that he, that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, and he ascended. The, the things that Jesus did, the miracles he did, all of his actions, are essential to the gospel, but it can't be separated from his teaching. Uh, because it's not just trusting that the facts are true. But we have to embrace the person and, and all that he taught and his character. And so it's what Jesus did and what he taught that go together to make the gospel. And it says, and, those, and Calvin says, those are a holy knot you can't ever take, take apart. Verses 2 and 3, notice how he says, until the day that Jesus was taken up. Uh, In in theological terms, we call that the ascension, meaning that Jesus ascended. Um, And and this is one of those things that that science can't really account for, Uh, but but it says that Christ, that after he appeared and after he was resurrected and walked around for a time, that he simply ascended into the heavens. We see later, it says he's going to return out of the heavens to earth to reign again someday. And so we look forward to that day. Uh, But you notice that uh, before he was taken up, that's what it says. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Uh, after his suffering, what was his suffering? Uh, he, he wasn't just like bullied a little bit and felt his feelings were hurt, that he died, right? So after his suffering, meaning after he was crucified and then he came and he presented himself alive, that's why it was shocking, right? because these guys witnessed his death, and they saw him put upon a cross. They saw him taken off the cross, and they knew that he was put in a tomb, and a, and a stone was rolled over that tomb. And so when he presented himself alive, that was a, that, that's what we call an aha moment, right? When the dead dude walks back out and goes, what's up? You know, that's, that's sort of a significant event that they, they probably registered and were like, that's something I might ought to remember, that that happened, I might ought to, I might ought to register that something remarkable happened there, which is why it, it says that he presented himself uh, alive by many proofs, because it wasn't easy for them to accept. Right? Are any of these things hard for you to accept or understand? Is it hard for you to imagine how God became man and, and lived among us? Is it hard for you to imagine how anyone lived a perfect life? Um, man, just the last couple years in this, in this world and, and just all the craziness, like someone that never got angry about any of it in an unhealthy way. I mean, like I, I get angry driving on the road sometimes. And I'm like, ah, you, I can't believe. And of course that's the bumper sticker on your car. And you know, like I'm talking trash to someone driving on the road, they can't hear me, but it feels better to me to do it. Uh, Jesus never did that. Th- that should be astounding to you, Right. So as you think about what it what it looks like for Christ to live a perfect life, but to have died, uh, but it, even in his death to be able to to be to resurrect and step out of that, to ascend into the heavens, sit at the right hand of his Father, and uh, that he's going to come back one day, uh, these are difficult things to believe. It was difficult for the disciples too. When we talk about proofs to prove something is to make it known in a convincing and decisive way, I think what's interesting to me about Luke's approach here is that Christianity is reasonable, right? Like he's not asking you to put blind faith in some aura or feeling or thing that just kind of is this nebulous deal out there. But he's saying, I actually, Christ came and made proofs to eyewitnesses and there was a a logical, reasonable thing that he unpacked and he's trying to show us and he wants us to understand. And for the disciples, this was difficult emotionally for them to accept. They'd walked with Jesus for three days. They saw him dead and then he appeared. And so they're wrestling with this. And um, it's amazing to think about the disciples what it would have been like for them to be in their shoes. That you you literally were out fishing one day, and Jesus said, Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So you. You tried it. You went and followed him for three days and you walked around for th- or three years and you walked around with three years and, uh, and basically lived uh, alongside him and listened to all his teaching and witnessed all his miracles and saw him heal the blind and saw him take the, the lame man and, and, and help him to dance again and, and go running through the streets. And you witnessed and you saw all these things and then you saw him put, a, put into a tomb. And so you're trying to make sense of this doesn't fit any of my categories and all the boxes I had for the way the world worked just got blown apart. And so they're trying to make sense of this. And um, these proofs show up over and over again in the entire scriptures. In fact, 1 John 1 says, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, we have touched the one named Jesus who has risen from the dead. Because he wants us to understand in clear terms that this isn't just speculation. We saw, we heard, we touched the guy after he, he walked out of the out of the tomb. Second Peter 1.16 says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John 21.25 says, there would not be enough room in all the world to contain all the books that might be written about Jesus and everything we saw and experienced in him. They were blown away to be eyewitnesses to everything he said, and Jesus proved who he was. In fact, um, I think the disciples needed this assurance. I know Theophilus needed this assurance, and I also think we need this assurance too. When you think about the over forty-day period of time after Jesus was resurrected, uh, we know we know at least of ten different appearances. He appeared to the women at the tomb, to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus, to Peter in Jerusalem, to ten of the disciples at one time, then to eleven at another time. Uh, he went out and saw seven disciples fishing in Galilee and um, and, and sat down and had a meal with them. Uh, with eleven disciples another time in Galilee, then he appeared to five hundred different individuals that we saw. And then he appeared to his half-brother James a different time. So you think about all these different appearances and, and, and the, the, the hundreds of people literally that witnessed and saw this. And what Luke is trying to help us understand is that we're not asking you just to believe something that we felt in here. But there's actual evidence that Christ proved. And so Christ uh, used this time to teach and explain also the Scriptures and everything that happened. So he said he was teaching them about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, which began when Jesus showed up and was was, was inaugurated and was begun, but won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. And so we are in the kingdom, but it will come back in in fullness at a later date. But ultimately what the disciples are called to do is live into the mission of the kingdom. They live to live under the rule and the reign of the king, carrying the good news of the king to all the peoples. Look at me at verse 4. Verse 4 says, and while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Um, You know why? Uh, The second thing we need in, in addition to the truth of the gospel is we need the power of God. And so when he orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, he says, you need to stay here and wait until what happens? Until the Spirit comes. And until, until divine presence is with you and in you, you need to wait because you're not ready to try to launch out on this mission on your own. What he's saying is what, what they have to do is so important and so essential and so challenging for a, of a task that they're called to do that they're going to need God to equip them to do it. What Jesus is saying is this is not a mission that you can accomplish in your
1: own strength. And so you need to wait. And you a hard time waiting. Like, you go to a restaurant, and they, you think it's going to be, you know, they tell you, oh, it'll be 20
0: minutes to get a table. And like at 18, you're like, someone go check on that. You know, go ask her how long we have to wait. You know, are we here yet? And at 22 minutes, you're like, oh, I'm just out. I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Because that's just too much. You know, we're two minutes over the time you said I could sit down and have my meal. Uh, well, Jesus is saying the, the most important mission that you possibly have, you have to go, and I need you to wait. Well, We know, he says, that not many days. It was probably likely 10 days, we know, based on the, the religious calendar and the time that was passed there, that they ended up waiting. Uh, but you notice what they, ha- what they had to wait for. It says that there was a baptism of John. So John the Baptist baptized people. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He baptized them for the repentance of sins and the pre- preparation of the kingdom, meaning he was a preparatory baptizer, meaning we're going to clean you to get you ready for the kingdom of God to show up. Well, Jesus shows up announcing the kingdom of God is here and beginning to move forward into that. This is a different baptism. In fact, it's called a greater baptism. Uh, As John's baptism was preparing them for Jesus to enter the world, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually preparing them for Jesus' Spirit to enter them, for the Holy Spirit to enter them. And so as you look at this, it's a sign that the Messiah had come. It was something, you notice he calls it the promise of the Father. In the Old Testament, this had been promised that this would happen, that a Messiah would come, when the Messiah would come, that he would put a spirit in us and he would change us and he would begin to uh, to work within his people. And so this was a promise that the Messiah, or a sign that the Messiah had come, and it was ushering in a new era of God's, of God's plan. Imagine being a disciple and thinking Jesus was the Messiah that was coming to to bring in the kingdom, and then all of a sudden Jesus dies. Well, what are you thinking if you're a disciple? Like, I guess God's plan didn't work. And what what he's saying here is, no, God's plan is still fully on track. God's plan, it it hasn't veered off course whatsoever. This is actually the promise. This is the long-awaited blessing. And this is one of the most important themes in all of the book of Acts, is the coming of the Spirit. Do you realize this is a gift that is given to all believers? that from the apostles on, they received the Spirit, and then everyone else that came into the faith also received the same Holy Spirit. And so this promise is fulfilled not just for them, but for you and for me, that the Holy Spirit lives with us. And what it meant was that Jesus was truly the, receiver, the Redeemer, that his suffering did not, did not quench what, the God's, what God was trying to do, but it actually fulfilled what God was trying to do. They just didn't understand that at the time. And so the disciples definitely understood once Jesus got to this point that this was a really big deal, right? That this was a fulfillment of the scriptures. And Jesus explained that to them, and they understood it. And you look at verse 6, and you see how clearly they understood it. So when they had come together, they said, So, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They said, Oh, when the Spirit comes, that means the kingdom's coming. And so they thought that this was all going to happen at one time. And so immediately when they go, oh, if the Spirit's coming, then that's the time the kingdom's gonna come. The disciples are always asking this question, weren't they? Like earlier, you see one of the deals where two of the disciples are kind of sauntering up Jesus and their mama's pushing them. You know, they're clearly some mama boys and they're like, hey, can my boys, like, can they get the, the best seats at the table in your kingdom, Jesus? Because whenever you come and you rule and you reign, we'd kind of like to be on in the inner circle. Um, And so they were pushing for that kind of a connection to this king when he came into his kingdom. But you notice they were still thinking of this nationalistic religious or a nationalistic um, kingdom based on the people of Israel, more of a political kingdom. And so as those who were under Roman rule, they were hoping Jesus was going to kick Rome out, kick some booty with all those guys, give them some freedom for the nation of Israel and set them back up and turn them loose. And, And that's really where their hopes were, uh, the disciples, how much were they thinking about being missionaries right here? No, they weren't. They're like, oh, we survived those three years. We thought you were gone, but you're back, and it looks like you're doing good. Like, you know, you're still alive. And so now do we get to do the kingdom stuff? Like, now do we get to, like, you know, sit and, you know, now do we get to rest on our laurels and, and kind of you know, eat, eat a good meal and celebrate and maybe get some gold in our pockets? And, and they're not thinking at all about the mission. They're seeking comfort and confidence in their own well-being. They're seeking a life of power and influence. They're thinking, Jesus, is now the time where we get to rule with you? It's interesting. Jesus immediately redirects them uh, to another purpose, though, doesn't he? Um, He says, "Uh, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will all be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a redirection, right? Do you ever have to redirect someone in a, in a conversation at, at the office? Like they're, they're fixated on something, you're like, hey, let's get back on task. You need to redirect them here. That's what's happening is they're going, hey, is this the time the kingdom comes? And Jesus says what? Hey, shut up, let's go back to work. Like, hey, stop speculating about all that stuff. It's not even for you to know. The, the, our Father in heaven is the one who sets the authority. He sets the times. You don't get to call the shots on that stuff, but you do have a job, and you have a job, and you're not going to sit on, uh, in, in comfort in Jerusalem. You're actually going to go to the ends of the earth with the message of God. Acts eight really is the theme of the whole book of Acts, uh, that, that we are called to be witnesses. And those witnesses kind of move out in concentric circles. If you look at the geography of Jerusalem, and then it goes out to the next region, and then it goes eventually to the ends of the earth, so it kind of moves itself outward like this because it's supposed to be this ever-expanding, uh, ever-expanding circle. Acts eight um, uh, is really the theme of the book of Acts. It repeats something that Jesus said in, that's recorded in the book of Matthew that we call the Great Commission. And we call it the Great Commission because it's when the disciples were commissioned to go and be witnesses, representatives, ambassadors for Christ throughout the world. And we, following their example, are called to walk in their footsteps, to be, mission, uh, to be on mission with them. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know it's two things that go with that commission. What's the first thing Jesus says? All authority in heaven and earth has been
1: given to me. Why? Because he came, he lived, he died, he reigned, he, he was raised again. And so he was victorious, he
0: was king. He had earned the right and his ascension to heaven, the reason why Acts 1 twice mentions his ascension to heaven is because it's, it's a sign of authority. That when he was lifted up, and it says actually in, uh, in verse 9, we're going to see that it says that he was lifted up, and it says, and the cloud took him up. It's a sign that the heavens have received him, and, and his ascension was not just, so It was not just something that was cool for them to watch. Like, dude, Jesus just floated up into the heavens, although that was definitely true. I think it was, also, it was also a sign of his authority, that he was accepted by God. He was divine, and he was one who was welcomed because he had conquered sin and death and had earned the right to be the king of all. And so in that, man, we see this idea that Christ, uh, the, the Christ um, ha- has all authority. But you notice at the end of Matthew 28, he also says, um, and I am with you always meaning that, that you're being commissioned, you're being sent out to go to all the nations with the good news, but you don't go alone. You go with God. Acts eight repeats the same sort of an idea, doesn't it? Acts eight uh, Acts when it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, where does that power come from? It comes from the authority of Jesus sent to fulfill the promise of the Father and in order to empower them, so the, the God goes with them into the mission. But it's that mission to be witnesses, to carry their message all the way to the ends of the earth. So see the first two things that they called, that they need to fulfill this mission? They need the truth of the gospel. They need the power of God. The third thing they need is a sense of urgency. Verses 9 to 11, Jesus is going to give them a good visual of this. It says, "And when, when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, in a cloud, took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven, and went as he went, two men stood behind them or beside them in white robes, and men and said to them, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you; will come in the same way that he has been sent." And so they they had heard Jesus, they'd seen him. They're sitting there on the hill, uh, listening to him talk, and he's explaining this mission that they've given him. And if you ever wanted to punctuate a mission, I mean preachers sometimes like we try to find ways to close out a message you talk about the conclusion you're like man i need to find a way to like drive this truth home i need a i need a story or i need a statement or i need something that that just makes it come to life for you uh jesus sort of knocked that out of the park didn't he like he's finishing the message and then he just floats off into the heavens and then a cloud goes Whoosh, you know and it's like drop mic, i'm done you know and the disciples what is what is their response when that
1: happens I mean, that's, that's literally what it says, is they stood there looking up. Which, which seems appropriate, right?
0: I mean, that's what I would have done. I mean, and, and, and immediately while they're looking up, all of a sudden there's two new dudes who it says are wearing white robes. They probably weren't in white robes. They probably were, uh, were, were shining with the glory of God is probably what it meant. That these are angels and in, in, in kind of appearing to them with a message. And so disciples and all the people are standing there. And all of a sudden someone else pops up here and goes, Hey, what are you standing around for? He just gave you something to go do. Uh, which is kind of funny, uh, to be honest. Like, I kind of laugh. I look at him and I was like, dude, you don't have time to stand around like cows in a hailstorm. Like, you got stuff to do. Let's go. Chop, chop. You got to go. Remember Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth? You can't stand here. That's never going to get done. You guys go. Let's get some work done. It's a football coach that's calling break on the huddle. It's like, All right, enough huddle. Let's go get the play. The shot clock's running right or the the play clock's running we need to get moving and that ultimately is what happens but it's connected again to the ascension of jesus his authority that he was taken up but part of that authority is not just that he was taken up but that he's coming back and so what what jesus is trying to get us to see in this is that that what happens between the time when he's taken up and the time when he comes back is what really matters because you've got a window of opportunity right here where Jesus has ascended, he's in authority over heaven, he's commissioned you and he sends his spirit to live in you and then he sends you out to go be witnesses to tell everyone about Jesus, but he's coming back and what, the time that you have is between the time when he went up and the time when he returns and this is the only window of opportunity you have to make him known. That's what he wants you to understand in this passage and he's trying to give you a sense of urgency that when he comes back, no one else gets to hear the good news. When he comes back, all the time has passed. And so, friends, you've got one life. You've got one little window of opportunity here on earth, and what is it that you're going to do with it? I mean, you you notice the the sense of urgency that goes through this whole passage? Notice Notice how easy it is for the disciples to get distracted. You look at kind of the beginning of this, and Jesus is like, I "Man, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is going to happen. And they go, so is this when the kingdom comes, and we kind of get to do all the stuff, and, like, we get rid of Rome, and we get to, we get to build our, our political influence and our power, and we get, to, we get to be really important here on earth?
1: And what's Jesus say? Dude, that's, that's the Heavenly Father stuff. You don't need to think about that. You need to get busy with the stuff I've given you to do. As my
0: servants, as my representatives, as my witnesses, as my ambassadors. You need to represent Jesus amongst all the people. And so then Jesus ascends, and they're still just standing around, and he's like,
1: dude, let's go. You got stuff to do. Why are you standing around without something to do? This book, the book of Acts, is really where we we talk about the launch of the church. It's when the church started.
0: And in the very first chapter of the book that talks about the church, what we are about,
1: What does it say that we're to do? We're to live with a sense of urgency about making Christ known. That is the most important thing.
0: That is what we're about. We are to live with a sense of the power of God upon us as we go and preach the truth of the gospel, as we tell people who Jesus is, what he did, and and what he taught us, as we make him known to all the peoples of our city all the peoples uh, of our state, all the peoples of our nation, all the peoples of the world, that we're called to make him known in ever-increasing, expanding influence throughout the whole globe. That's what we're to
1: do. Um, We take the gospel. We can't do it on our own. We do it with the power of God. But we are responsible to have a sense of urgency. Friends, can I
0: ask you, do you have a sense of urgency to take the gospel or are you, like the disciples, getting distracted? Going, ah, I need to carve out some comfort over here, I need to carve out some influence over here, I need to try to protect my, my nationalistic interests over here, I need to try to
1: carve out some space over here for me to have or are you living with a sense of urgency of the things of God? Because what I see in the scriptures is that we're called to live like the disciples, to follow in his footsteps.
0: This is the last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. If you have one last word and you're going to drop mic on your life with, with a group of people,
1: if you take the, the people you love the most on the planet, and you say, I've got one thing I want to say. What is it Jesus said? You feel the importance of that moment? What Jesus says was, you will be my witnesses. You're to go and tell everyone about me. You to go and tell everyone what I've done. You should
0: tell everyone what you saw. You should tell everyone what I said. You should tell everyone who I am and what I'm like, that they
1: might truly know me. And what Jesus is saying, in a sense, is, I mean, will you be the one that will go tell Joe about who I am? Will you be the one that walks across the room to tell Susan? Will you be the one that builds
0: a relationship with Nancy and tells her about Jesus? Will you be the one that, that sacrifices financially in order to care for this guy that's out of work so that you might tell them that God loves him? Will you be the one that comes alongside this, this woman who's experienced an unexpected pre- pregnancy and walking with her through that season and caring for her and, so that you can
1: tell, show her the love of Christ in a practical way and make known to her the love of Christ? Will you be the one that will be my witness? Because friends, we are Christ's hands and feet. And that's the story of, 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 the, of the
0: church. That Jesus, when he departed, he had a plan. And it was the plan of God that worked out through all human history. And it was that when he ascended, he was going to have all authority in heaven and earth. And what did he say? He's going to give it to us. And he says, I will, I, I'm not leaving you by yourself. I will send the spirit to empower you, to help you. You'll never be alone in the mission but you are the one to be my witnesses, to go to the ends of the earth and tell them, friends, let's not get distracted
1: from the mission. Let's be those who continue to focus in on it and continue to run to it. It's interesting that when you think about the heart of this letter is this idea that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses.
0: That's the mission that we're all called to, called to live. That's what we're to be about. And as we walk through the book of Acts, and that's what we'll unpack, is what, it, what that looks like, uh, how that works itself out in the life of the disciples, and ultimately how that mission comes down to
1: us and guides us, even the way we, uh, we live our lives. Are you with me? Looking forward to diving in? All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that we would fall more in love with your church this year because we are in love with your son and grateful for him. Father, might Christ always be the head of this church. Might we be those who do his bidding. Father, as he calls the shots, that we might execute his plan. And Father, we pray that the the people might come to know you through the testimony and the witness of our lives
0: this year. We might be pleasing and honoring to you. And that we might rejoice together as... People were added to our number day by day. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.